and welcome to Worst Bestsellers, where we read about flaming queer wizards so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read The Door into Fire by Diane Duane. Joining us to discuss this extremely 70s fantasy novel is sexy unicorn enthusiast and co-host of I Don't Even Own a Television, a podcast about bad books, Chris Collision. Hello. Hello, hello. Uh, Thank you so much. And I'm so, so sorry. (laughs) No, nothing to apologize (laughs) for. I had a great time. If you are just listening to this one and skipped our previous one and you were wondering what about the other co-host of I Don't Even Own a Television? Just just scroll back in your podcast feed and we talked to Jay about the Weston game for that one. Yes. Yeah, so 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 Jay comes with a uh, you know well-regarded mystery that uh, by all accounts holds up to this day. And uh, I come with the super sexy unicorn stylings of early Diane Duane. That's uh, pretty on brand, I guess. Well, I got to tell you, so uh, for our flashback summer, we've mentioned it on some other episodes, and sometimes we've forgotten to mention that it's flashback summer. But regardless, whether we said it or not, it is flashback summer where we revisit, you know, older books that maybe aren't actually bad. And we've been saying that this summer we felt like we'd sort of run through all the big series. And so we just went to guests and said, like, pick whatever childhood favorite you want to talk about, even if we haven't read it. And so I feel like you really took the assignment and were like, yes, here is a book. Here's a book you've never heard of in your life. And it was delightful, frankly. (laughs) Yeah, I, I genuinely enjoyed this. I enjoyed the experience of reading it, even though there is no audiobook, so I did have to read it with my eyes. And I overall, like, I found it very charming, actually. Like, I'm like, "Mm, do I want to read the other books in this series? Except they also don't have audiobooks. That's a big commitment for me. (laughs) So I haven't decided yet. Yeah, like, (laughs) Diane Duane is an author who I think maybe at this point is best known for um, the So You Think You're a Wizard series, Mm. which, um, no, So You Want to Be a Wizard. I keep confusing it with So You Think You Can Dance. (laughs) <laughs> yes, it's it's called the Young Wizard series, I believe, as a series. I think it's called So You Think You Can Wizard. <laughs> uh, anyway, she's best known for that, but I guess maybe not that well known for it because I still can't remember it. <laughs> and this, I, I guess she intends it to be a book of four, but the first one came out in 1979 and on her website it is still like 2022, book four, eventually forthcoming. Like, that's like one book per decade in this series. Yeah. No, even scarcer. I can't do math. I'm a librarian. Don't worry about it. Um, She's taking a long time with this. And in the meantime, the first three are fully out of print. They're only available as like ebooks from her website, like open source ebooks. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, none of the libraries have it. There's no audiobook. They're sort of lost to time. But I feel like they shouldn't be. I feel like let's bring them back. I'm extremely glad to hear you both say that because, you know, this was obviously opening a little bit of a, a door into, you know, my own mm. shameful past mm. as, a, as a sexy unicorn enthusiast. Very important that there's a hyphen in there. Uh, I am not self-branding in an inappropriate way. Uh, I'm an enthusiast for sexy unicorns. I mean, it could be both. <laughs> 
but yeah, it, it is a real shame that these these are sort of lost, I think, because I think they did try to do some interesting things before those things got popular. I found this because it was lying around on my dad's shelves and it was kind of eye-catching because in part the cover was bright, like sky blue, and had all the things that like a nine or ten year old kid huh. would want to look at, like a sword, some fire, a person holding his hands up in the air dramatically. Yeah. You know? Uh, it was very, very, you know, 70s van art oh, yeah. as an aesthetic. And then you get into it and, you know, spoiler, this is mostly a book about a guy sitting around having feelings about his relationships, which are like uh, very various, including the love of his life as a gay man. Pretty unexpected, I think, for a 1979 fantasy novel. I'm just going to lightly push back on gay because I think everyone in this is like pansexual, bisexual. Everyone seems like down for whatever. I think that's yeah okay that that is that is better said. I think I like did that because I'm pretty sure it was on the shelf because my dad, as a gay man, mm, uh, yeah. probably had this put in front of him. But yeah, that's 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 an extremely good call. I mean, like yeah. our hero's major uh, life, you know, relationship is with another man, uh, but over the course of the book, our hero hooks up with a shape shifting fire elemental. His partner hooks up with, uh, I, I believe you called a, a, a lady bro <laughs> somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, his, his boyfriend gets a girlfriend who's yeah. a lady bro. Yeah. And, and you know, not, not to nitpick, just like, oh, I thought that was like cool that everyone, everyone in this is just like polyamorous, pansexual, living, living the dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, so there's probably less... I don't know, swords than you might expect given the cover, uh, which again is 88% sword. Uh, <laughs> well, to be fair, the protagonist has made like 63 swords. So <laughs> he's, he's, he's forged a million swords and he's broke them all uh, because this is a world where sometimes people have magic, but mostly only those people are women. So it's really special for a man to have magic. Please come back, come back, come back. <laughs> yeah, he's a special boy. Um, okay, I feel like let's put a pin in trying to explain the magic of this world. I so okay, so you you were nine or ten when you read this for the first time. Yeah, I mean, it was just sort of on the shelf. I read it, um, and I don't know. It just sort of, like, clicked with me, and it's always... I, I was a big rereader as a kid, so, like, I just sort of, like, filched it from my dad's shelves and, like, yeah, yeah. brought it home one summer and, you know, probably revisited it every couple of years through high school. And then probably have not really thought about it until a couple of years ago, but never reread it, just sort of thought... Oh, I know that was supposed to be the the start of uh, a thing because it ends, you know, kind of in the middle of things. And got curious and looked up Diane Duane on the internet. It turned out, you know, she she'd done a ton of other things, some of which I'd I'd read here and there, without kind of connecting the dots. And yeah, basically found out what what you already noted, which is uh, book four taken a little bit of a while to come out, but you know. 
she's very, very active. You know, she's, she's writing other stuff. It's just that I think this was her first major, you know, sort of pro work. And I think it's near and dear to her. And I think she, you know, she's keeping the spark alive. Oh, dang. (laughs) (laughs) I I was going to say, I think she'll put it out when she's happy with it, but uh, yes, you, Yours is way more accurate. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but so when you were a kid, you only read the first one. You didn't read the other two. Or Never when did, did the other two come out? Oh, I think like roughly every every ten years. I, I read a kind of a sad note on her website, which is you know when she was talking about working on the fourth book, where she was like, "Look, this is going to be self published. I know people are you know maybe excited about it, but like I'm not under any illusions that any publishing house is going to be like." lining up to publish the fourth in a 40-year-old series of queer sword and sorcery books. And that's just, you know, kind of a bummer because I've, uh, I started this, the, so I had not reread in many years. Uh, I reread, we're recording on Sunday, I reread Monday. I was kind of sick, but like, I probably cried three times reading it and Aww. teared up a bunch of other times. It's and- emotional. Yeah, like I think they deserve to be read, and I, I would I would love them to find a little bit bigger audience. I would agree. This felt so ahead of its time. It felt it felt so progressive to me that I like underestimated it. Like I wasn't expecting it to be. You know, it reminded me of like when everyone was talking about our flag means death and being like, mm. oh, it it seemed really homoerotic, but I didn't think they would actually be allowed to kiss. Like that's kind of how I felt. It was like, oh, they seem like. Oh, when he means like when he means like a brother, he means like they are in love. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I like it, in the intro. Renata called it an extremely seventies fantasy novel, and I like looked up like three times when it was published because as I was reading it, even outside of the the way that gender and sexuality are portrayed, like just kind of like, and I don't know, I don't read a ton of fantasy, so maybe this is like a mainstay. But it felt very like, I don't know, like casual and loose and modern in like just like the general relationships and friendships and uh, even like the language used within the book. Mm-hmm. Like I absolutely felt like this could have been published very recently. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. And the other thing I like about it is it while being very like refreshing about that, it uses it as a way to find new forms of drama. It's not a utopia. Yes. Right. Yeah. And I kind of like that because that there are a lot of scenes that, I don't know, I, I found very relatable as somebody who has, you know, had complicated relationships and had complicated relationships with, with friends and other loved ones, you know, like half this book is the classic, you know, if they would sit down and have an honest conversation, <laughs> things would be easier. But uh, I don't know. I, I I I found that like well done and and super charming. Yeah, it really hammered home the idea that like no, actually being able to tell what all of your loved ones are thinking about you all the time would suck. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Nightmare. Uh. <laughs> uh, yeah, there, there's a great scene where somebody like literally goes outside the campsite and plays a lute for a while about it, as I recall. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Because people won't stop thinking loudly at her. Yeah, you gotta. 
like Renata, I had never heard of this before it was brought up as a suggestion. And I don't, I mean, I, I think I've already stated pretty clearly that I really enjoyed it. And I don't normally, this is the second fantasy book in like however many months since we recorded The Witcher that I read. And I was like, <laughs> so actually, maybe I don't like hate fantasy books with maps. <laughs> I, because I, I did it. I wasn't expecting to enjoy it. Like I was grumbling when I was downloading it because I was like, oh, I gotta. There's no audio book, and I gotta download this book, and I have to, you it's know, got a sword on the cover. I gotta <laughs> buy it from Amazon, and it looks like it's it's got a map in the front, and I'm not pleased about this. And then like I actually like was very into it as I was reading it. I'm I'm glad about that, but yeah, this book extremely has uh, a map at the front. Yeah. And I'll I'll say this about Diane Duane. Uh, politics are very crucial to a lot of the things going on in this story, but I do feel like she was able to, and maybe this is just like my selective, maybe I'm just very good at skimming, but like I was telling, before we started recording, I was telling Collision and Renata that like when I see a paragraph filled with made-up fantasy nonsense, my brain, and I've said this before on the podcast, my brain just sort of goes over all of those words. Mm -hmm. So there were like long bits about politics in this book that I just like skimmed through, but I was still able through like the character's dialogue and other things going on to get the gist of the politics mm -hmm. and skipping those sections about the politics did not detract from my enjoyment of the book. So, I mean, that I guess that could be a good or bad thing. It could be like, ah, that makes it clear that a lot of this could be cut out. But also, you know, <laughs> if you're, if you're into this kind of thing and you like reading about random fantasy politics, like good for you, I'm going to skip them. And luckily I still know what's going on. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's like, you're very explicit about a coping mechanism that I think a lot of fantasy fans have to have. I had to develop like a special rule for self-preservation, which is I just will not read uh, large sections of italicized text. Um, <laughs> nope, I'm, I'm turning pages until you're done with this crap. The thing that trips me up with books like this and that trips me up something fierce here is the complicated fake name conventions yeah. Because um, I'm a very hear it in my head as I read it reader. So that means if you're doing like lots of, you know, you're a writer and you're having lots of typographic fun, like I stumble every single time. But this book is fairly well uh, thought out in that way. I think like, you know, I'm, I'm not 100% sure how S-E-G-N-B-O-R-A is pronounced in Diane Duane's mind. Uh, but I'm fine. I'm just like saying Bora. That's fine. I got it. Yeah. And people get a lot of like pretty chilled nicknames, like just like <laughs> Lorne or a Dusty. Like, yeah, yeah I, I got you. <laughs> so that, that that definitely helps. But like, I don't know when when you've got like, I don't know, Harris, his dad, Harelaff, uh, or is his brother might be Harelaff. Yeah, the remember. brother's Harelaff. Oh, the son is named Halward. Like, hmm. Halward. It's just a little bit of static that starts with an H. It's fine. Or, like, when you're, like, forging a name and you're just, like, first letter squiggle. Like, in my head, these were all just, like, H squiggle. <laughs> Precisely. I just hear it all in Charlie Brown teacher voice and yeah. move on. Mm -hmm. 
which is kind of ironic because a lot of the magic of this name and this is you know other fantasy books are into this as well of the idea of like you have your name but then you have your capital n name that's like your inner true name and if Mm. other people know your capital n name then they have power over you and so like luckily for these people none of us have any power over them because we do not even know their fake names (laughs) let alone their true names i mean yeah, that is extremely true. And we should probably say this is a world where like almost everybody has at least some magic. There's kind of two kinds of magic. There's normal sorcery, which just about everybody can do. Is It's about as remarkable as finding somebody in our world who can like, you know, make a spreadsheet. Uh, it's, you know, it's not like remarkable or not remarked upon. Uh, but then there's the the extra special kind of magic, which is having a capital F flame inside you which one man in what a like a thousand years or something can do and like that's kind of an interesting bit of world building but the problem is the rest of the world building sort of falls apart because they do a thing where most of the world building is done just by capitalizing random nouns (laughs) (laughs) and I, i don't know if we're ready but i have a passage that i think kind of illustrates that pretty well Yeah, I think so. Collision proposed a new little game where he's going to read something out loud and I'm I'm going to have my wise cat Duarte weigh in whenever he thinks a word is capitalized and we'll see. We'll see if he's right. Yeah. So we we mentioned earlier, this is a book with lore and by lore, you know, we mean like a map at the beginning of the book, some little snippets from in world books presented as as epigraphs to or epigrams to epigraphs uh to every chapter and then a lot of uh what i can only call gibberish a uh, gibberish a little bit like this beorgan made the decision early to avenge her mother and determined that she would meet the shadow on Whoa. his own ground and destroy him <laughs> that was for shadow is shadow or are you going to tell me at the end oh no we should go sentence by sentence that's exactly okay. right so you got shadow okay you missed his and him why is the god is this god i don't know keep reading i'll <laughs> consult with torte <laughs> she trained and grew great in power and also Whoa! in obsession waiting and preparing for 19 years Whoa! night that night when it is both opening night and full moon. <laughs> yeah, now you're getting it. <laughs> oh, that that was for opening night. I do remember the opening night as capitalist. Because to me, I th- I think of like a theater production. I was like, oh, oh it's yeah. opening night. Like the critics are coming, but it's well, something else. <laughs> I don't think we've said this out loud yet, but this book is um, extremely horny. Uh-huh. And so capitalizing opening night and giving it some solid theater kid energy is uh, accurate to me. <laughs> so yeah, 19 years night, power, opening night, and moon all capitalized there. Okay, I, I think I think George, I got them all except moon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now this, this sentence is a little bit long, and I, okay. I, I apologize. <laughs> All the kingdoms know how the story ends. How Beorgan went down to the Morrowfane on that night, being then 24 years of age, and open the Morrowfane Gate. Beneath the waters of Lake Rilthor, 
and passed through into the outer worlds. Well. Uh, Duarte, you're nailing it. <laughs> I mean, as we know, cats are wise. Yes, <laughs> this book does explicitly tell us that, which is, I, of course, we already knew that here in Worst Best Sellers, but it's yeah. good to have our worldview reaffirmed. Yeah. Uh, okay, last sentence. There she met the shadow, and there she slew him. On one of the only nights this may be done, when the goddess's power conjoins with the returning sun past midnight. Uh, I think you got all but him, because you got Um, shadow, goddess, and sun. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. But, like, imagine trying to read that without, like, a pleasant cat sound behind you. (laughs) (laughs) One of my other favorite words that is capitalized is the term for a woman wizard who can access the flame is they are called capital R rod mistresses. (laughs) And their source of power is not a wand. It's a capital R rod. And it's it's pretty horny. (laughs) And... When you pointed that out, the scales <laughs> fell from my eyes. I, 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 I've been interacting with this damn book for 30 some years and that never occurred to me, but you're a million percent right. <laughs> it's, this book is very interesting in that it is extremely horny, but it is not explicitly horny. But it is extremely, like, almost overwrought emotionally horny. Like, these characters are hooking up. Like, they are fucking. But, like, the fucking is mostly summarized off page so that more time could be given to their deep emotional horniness for each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's not, like... I, and I don't know what I was expecting, you know. Uh, but there, there's there's not anything explicit but there's definitely, there's even an explicit, we're fucking on the page. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, which to circle back, I wanted to know when you first read it, but you got it from your dad, which makes sense yeah. because I don't, I mean, this was published in 1979 when there wasn't really much of a young adult market, but I think mm-hmm. this is just an adult novel that, and that, I mean, the main characters are our adults, and Diane Duane has written other books for younger readers, such as So You Think You Can Wizard. But, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, this seems to be like for capital A adults, but yeah, yeah it's, it's not so explicit. No, but, and it's very, uh, you know, I think it's very hippie in a way. Like, this is a book about, like I said, a, a guy who has a couple acid trips, thinks hard about his relationships and has a bunch of sex. But there's, there's really in this book, at least there's kind of only two kinds of sex. There's like really good sex with, you know, the love of your life or more accurately, one of the loves of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's really good sex that you have with somebody that you enjoy having sex with. Yeah. And the, you know, there's, there's actually a little bit of a duty to procreate, which takes i think about a half a page where somebody explains the you know the customs of the land that they both live in to each other like 
Well, okay, so yeah, this confused me because again, especially at first I wasn't like I wasn't fully immersed into this world and so I wasn't ready. So the book opens with this well, it opens with some capital L lore quotes, but like once we get to narrative, it's it's Herewis who is like making a sword and just sort of like thinking about how his mom was a rod mistress and like he needs to make this sword to channel his magic, blah blah blah. And then he gets a a message from a pigeon that he is given to <laughs> to Freelorn. In case of help, Freelorn can always send one of these homing pigeons. And the message is like, come rescue me. I'll be your best friend. And that's not me paraphrasing. It literally says, I'll be your best friend mm-hmm. in the letter. And then, so Heroes goes until he has twin sons who are nine years old. And Heroes is 28. So he had these kids when he was 19. And he goes and tells his son, oh, I have to go rescue your uncle Freelorn. And then he goes and talks to his dad. And he's like, hey, I got to go rescue Freelorn. And his dad's like, be careful. Like, I'm already short of sons. And so I'm like, okay, right. This is your brother. This is your son's uncle. Your dad is missing a son. Like, yeah, go get your brother. And it's not until like much later that it's like, no, this is my, uh, this is my loved. That's the title. Like instead of like husband mm-hmm. or boyfriend, it's his loved. And they don't explain that until much later. And then I was like, when they like greet in a sexual manner, I was like, wait a minute, this is your brother. And then I had to go back and be like, oh, he never actually said brother. I just assumed because of the uncle and son talk, but that's mm-hmm. not your role. And then he casually mentions to freelorn he's like oh my sons are fine and freelorn's like oh you got sons and he's like yeah as you know we all have a duty to have like one heterosexual procreation coupling that will produce at least one child and so um me and the blacksmith daughter decided to get that out of the way when we were 19 and we had sons and that's all so it's like wait this is like your committed partner (laughs) who doesn't know you've had kids for nine years like what's going on here well, it's it's almost as though one slightly uh, incredibly accurate but dated feeling aspect of this book is that the, uh, the the father of the children is perhaps not wildly involved with the raising of the children. Yeah, uh, but he's there. Like the son is with him, like helping with blacksmith shit. That's true. That's true. It feels like my impression was that it was some like parent trap shit where he has one and the blacksmith has the other one. Uh, The blacksmith's daughter has the other one and (laughs) like they're each raising one of them like personally. That could be fine. But that, that still doesn't quite answer the question of why his boyfriend hasn't heard about them for nine years. Yeah, yeah. especially because like, he talks to the son as if it's like, ah, oh, yeah, like, you know, your, Freelorn. Your uncle Freelorn. Yeah. Like, he knows who he is and is excited to see him. So I I don't know if we just stumbled into, like, a plot hole in this yeah. book yeah. or what, but it does, it seems so weird that he doesn't know about the sons considering that he does seem to know about them. Yeah. I'm going to search. I hadn't pulled that quote. Let me pull up that conversation. Cause I was also kind of thinking like, Oh, I'll point this out. And, the, and then you guys are like, Oh no, you missed something. And actually it makes sense for like X, Y, Z reasons, but no, I don't okay. think so. Maybe they were joking. So Freelorn is the capital L lion's child, which is the king of one of these kingdoms. 
And here with is a prince because his dad is still alive and his dad is the eagle, which is the mm-hmm. king of a different kingdom. But they're like neighboring kingdoms, I guess. And the kingdoms but, have to friendly. Yeah, friendly. And they have to do like rituals to like tie the kingdoms together or something. Um, I will say while you're looking for that, this is the quote from when he tells his son, what happened? Your uncle Freelorn may be back for a visit in a month or so. Uh, but I have to go get him first. So back for a visit does feel like. Yeah. Like this is a person other. you've met. So, yeah, I, I, I think maybe uh, let's just assume it was a typo and the person um, Harris was actually explaining all this to wasn't Freelorn, uh, who would know, but maybe Singbora. Yeah, that's. I'm trying to like find that scene. Like maybe someone else was there, but in my memory, it's like when they're alone. No, same. Like that's what's why it's so weird. Yeah, he is just explaining it. I think to Freelorn. Sunspark is there. I think in the background because it's the group. Jorana dismounted. So like the group is there, and then Freelorn eases himself out of the saddle, and they're hugging. And then because Sunspark isn't sure about human rights, like Suns, they can um, underhear, which is like psychic communication. So Sunspark is like mentally DMing him like, oh, are you guys fucking? And he's like, no, this is just a hug. And (laughs) that's book rules. Yeah. Yeah, because it is it is weird in here, though, because like it sounds like they're joking at first. Because He's like, you remember the old blacksmith? And then Lauren is like, I certainly do. Like, I think he was the one eyed gent with a lovely daughter. I think you had alternative motives. No, not really, though. Mirren and I did come of age at the same time. And since we've been playmates, we decided to relieve one another of the responsibility. Duarte and Mao there. Uh, She had twins. She'll be coming for fostering soon since mother left no love children behind her. I miss them. They're nine now. Like, and, yeah. the The only explanation is like, you know, Freelorn's been gone for a while, like questing and trying to win his kingdom. But no, I mean, I think it's just, I think it's just a little bit of of slightly clunky construction. Yeah, because uh, even like, I think he's only been gone for like seven years, so he definitely would have known about them. Yeah, and it hasn't been seven years since they last saw each. Yeah, I think it's just like weird exposition. Yeah, that was kind of clumsily shoved in there. That's certainly what it feels like. But you know, again, like I, I do think it's slightly telling that that does sneak through in an otherwise, I won't say maybe perfectly constructed book, but like a book where a lot of the relationship stuff is very, very well thought out. Uh, yeah. The kids still feel very much like an afterthought, and even though you know, written written by a woman, the male characters certainly have very little interest in children, and I I don't think that's quite an accident, but I don't think it was on purpose, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I wonder I wonder what happens in the other two books, but we'll never know. Nope, not uh. until we make audiobooks. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that's that's Herewith and his boyfriend, Lorne, and there is some kind of background woven in, in a way that makes me feel like, oh, I missed something, but I don't think I did. I think it's just the way that it's being revealed, like, because his father was killed and he, like, 
was afraid to take the throne. Like there's like a usurper in the throne of his kingdom. And so he's been on the run, which is why he hasn't seen his loved very much. Cause he's like running around and hiding and trying to figure out what to do to get his kingdom back. Basically. Yeah. Can I take it like a half step backwards? Yep. So I believe we mentioned that Harris has this blue flame inside of him and he is the first man. Normally this is a woman's yep, job. Yep. Normally it's and a rod mistress's job. Yes, but he has it too. And, <laughs> but because of some like sort of weird gender politics, he can't, you need to make a focus for the magic and yeah. he can't make a focus the way that women normally do because using like an earthen object like a wooden rod, which is normally what the women do, um, he just shatters them because he's not as connected to that part of nature. So he's been trying to come up with his own focuses by making swords. And it turns out, as Renata referenced, his father, when he tells him, oh, I have to go fucking save Free Lauren again. His dad mentions like, oh, you know, I, I don't have a lot of sons left, so be careful. When they were younger, they were drunk and fooling around with swords. And Harris struck his brother with a sword and then his brother tripped and fell on the sword and died. And this is not revealed until like the uh, the last chapter. Yes, we just know that, that Harris feels responsible for how he died. And it is heavily implied that swords are some way involved. So he's been trying to like create a sword that he can bind himself to the way that rod mistresses bind themselves to rods. That's certainly something I just said out loud. <laughs> <laughs> and, we could hear the and that's kind of the background of what's going on with him when he gets this, uh, this pigeon pigeon message from <laughs> Lauren to come save him. So on his way there, he is taking a horse who is blessed with bringing people to the where they need to be, the right place at the right time. And uh, the place that the horse takes him is this little shrine in the middle of nowhere, just as a rainstorm is coming. And his psychic powers, his underthought, <laughs> make him aware of a creature crying out in pain. And he sees this horse that seems to be like steaming in the rain. And as he gets closer, he realizes it's actually a fire elemental that is just like being tortured in the downpour. So he pulls the fire elemental into the little shrine to dry off. And they kind of hesitantly broker a deal because elementals are ruled by something called the pact, where if someone saves their life, they have to save the other person's life or do a favor for them in exchange. It's very, it's like the same like Witcher fairy tale rule of surprise bullshit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, the only thing I would add to that is, is this a book and a world where all horses have names? Oh, hell yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> very oh, yeah. correct. Uh, um, but also, uh, so the the shrine that he stops at is also a chance to, like, do a little capital L lore dumping. And he's just like, <laughs> ah, yes, I need to, like, clean up the shrine because it's it's spoken that the triple goddess, if, you know, if she ever stops at your house, she would clean your house. And, of course, as we all know, everyone in this land has one night where they get to have sex with the goddess, but they never know when it will be or what form she'll take. It's just like once in your life, you're guaranteed to have sex with the goddess. Anyway, <laughs> got to go see about this horse. <laughs> and it, it, this is like right after, uh, you know, there's there's a quick night, I think, in an inn uh, mm -hmm. on the way 
to, you know, the goddess shrine and stuff. And I'll, I'll note that the goddess shrine is, you know, described as having been constructed by a, a grieving mother who had like lost all of her family. That was, I think, probably the first time I lost it uh, rereading this on Monday. Mm. But in the inn, that's the first hint that we get that this is a body land. Yeah, true. Because songs are sung, wenches are bedded, uh, you know, I think in basically in book language. Uh, That's Uh not me. I didn't say that. Um, (laughs) Please direct all angry mail to Diane Duane. (laughs) Please do not direct any angry mail to Diane Duane. (laughs) Yeah. Don't at anyone. Um... (laughs) (laughs) But... it's, it's interestingly constructed because, you know, at this point, it's it's a bawdy novel, but it's all extremely hetero, I would say. As far as we know, yeah, because we think yeah. he's going to get his brother. Yeah, they, they, they dole it out or she doles it out in a, a fairly well-constructed and I think cleverly constructed way to not, you know, cause people to freak out and hurl their book across the the room in 1979, uh, which is, of course, before non-heterosexual relationships were invented. (laughs) Yeah. At at first, I was like, oh, the most exciting thing at this inn is that we learned that cats can speak in this world, which is hella dope, and we will talk about that later. But then, yeah, casually, like, the cat warns him. He's like, look out for the innkeeper's daughter. She's she's too horny. And then... (laughs) She is too horny. She is too horny. And so, so Harris binds her with a spell that's basically like you, then you can only have sex with um, like a man or woman that you care about. And it's like Mm. explicitly, you know, I guess not inclusive of non-binary people, but it's explicitly like bisexual, like whatever person that you want to have sex with you have to care about them and you're not allowed to just because she was doing some kind of like sexual energy vampire shit where she would just like like fuck people to steal their power and he's like no yeah like no no more of that innkeeper's daughter but this is also after like the the innkeeper owner is like well if it's a tumble you want can i direct you toward my daughter yeah you know know what kind of world you're in and then you know they're simple country folks, so the the in action is basically people singing songs to each other, and like if somebody sings a really good song, they might get propositioned. You might toss a coin to your witcher there. <laughs> yeah, it, it sort of like starts to ease you into this this idea of what the you know sexual politics of this world yeah. are like, which was cool. Yeah, it's like not really plot relevant, but it's yeah, it's a good little world building set piece. But let's get back to this sexy horse. Yeah. So <laughs> after literally fighting with this horse, Hiroas wins the the fight. So he gets to you know do this pact, and he says, "Okay, the horse has to. You're bound to me. The fire fire elemental is bound to me until it saves my life, and then it can go on." He's like, "And I." given like where I'm going and what I'm doing, like you'll have this done by the end of the week, bro. Like no worries. (laughs) Yeah. And the, the fire elemental gives him his name, which is a series of images that it's very psychic dolphin from which is also like very seventies. It's like, this is what we're doing in the seventies is like psychically communicating with animals (laughs) And having free love with um, three sexy boys who are too old for me. Yes. Uh. 
so so he starts calling the fire elemental slash horse at this point sunspark and sunspark is like yeah like that's close enough like your human brain can't comprehend my real name that's good enough and he's like yeah okay cool so he rides sunspark to the place where Freelorn and his bros are held up and surrounded by the enemy. And so as Renato was saying, Freelorn uh, liked to travel. So he was out of the country when his father died suddenly. And instead of waiting for him to come back, his father's like cabinet seized control and took over the country. And when Freelorn did try to come back, he almost was killed so he's been kind of sneaking around the rest of the world trying to find like a way to get back so that he could get his father's throne and take his rightful place as the king but you know revolutions need money and he doesn't have any and also the special sword of the king disappeared when his father died and he feels like he can't really be king until he has that sword so he just does stupid shit like the thing that got him caught in this keep that he was trapped in with his bros so Harris does sorcery and does it like really intensely and when you do big sorcery it kind of comes back at you in a capital b backlash that makes you feel like shit for a few days so he does such big sorcery that he's basically unconscious for two days afterwards but he saves Lorne and his bros, including his lady bro. <laughs> yeah, because a Sunspark like goes in like psychically is like, ah, I sense that your friend has five people with him. And Heroes is like, oh, I thought he only had four. And Sunspark's like, yeah, he made a new friend. And Heroes is like, haha, yeah, he does that. And so the new person <laughs> is this woman named like Sagambora, spelled weirdly. I want to say too, though, he the way that he gets Freelorn out is he Sunspark's like, oh, cool. I'm a really powerful fire horse, so I can just go like burn everyone. And Heroes is like, no, I want to do this without killing anyone. So I want to do illusion magic to scare them away. And he creates like a big, he does like a Mufasa ghost from Lion King. <laughs> he, he does. He makes a big sky lion and it scares yeah. them all away. <laughs> and I just think that's important. Well, it, it's important to remember that, you know, in this universe, uh, lions and eagles are very important because they're basically, you know, uh, one notch below the tripart goddess in terms of uh, godliness. Uh, but yeah, he basically or, or to, you know, in a, in a slightly different set of books, he makes a big ass Aslan in the yep. sky yeah. yep. uh, and it scares the bad people. Wink. <laughs> Yeah, they re- they repent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Madeline Madeline Langle wept. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So then they're they're reunited. They're back on the road. They're talking to Segenbora, who's the new lady bro, and she has too much flame, capital F, and it's uncontrollable. So like, she's very powerful, but she can't like do it good. Yeah, there's there, there's basically a great sort of early scene in a rom com where Harris and Sangbora have to butt heads, and he's like, "Well, let me exposition you real quick. I'm the first man in a thousand years to have flame, but it can't be controlled. Pretty cool, huh?" And she's like, "Oh, lol, I have way more flame than you, and it's even less controlled. How you like me now?" Yeah. <laughs> 
And then, so she suggests to Harrowis, like, oh, maybe you need to know your capital N name in order to control your magic. And he's like, yeah, probably. And he'd mentioned this concept earlier. He's heard about, like, a bunch of capital D doors that are in the capital W waist. (laughs) And, And... which is just like uh, I th- I imagined it as like like the moor you know it's like a it's like a desolate area it's not like a trash can probably and I think you're right and he wants to go he you know he wants to go find you might say the door into fire <laughs> you, you might say that some would he, say he's looking for he he figures that with like all of the doors he'll find something that can help him he'll find either a door through time so he can go back to before the capital c catastrophe when men had powers and see like how men trained their inner flame or he'll find a door into an alternate world where all the men have the blue flame so that he could learn from them how to control it or like he he goes through like all of these random possibilities for the different ways the doors work but he's convinced that like having access to these doors will somehow help him control his inner flame. So he convinces, and he knows that since it's super dangerous, Freelorn will insist on coming with him when he tells him what the plan is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is indeed exactly what happens. He's like, you're a lunatic. This will never work, but I can't let you go alone. So me and my bros are going to come with you. And he's like, excellent. That sounds great. No red flags here about <laughs> the way they're communicating. No, it's totally fine. And then they then this is where it like rests up another level on the horny scale. <laughs> they stop at an inn, and previously it's been established that sharing is a euphemism for sex in this universe. And so they stop at this inn, and the innkeeper comes out, and she's a beautiful woman. And Herewis is like trying to do mental math because he only has the currency is called talents. He only has five talents. And he's like, oh, it should be at least seven talents to stay here. And so the innkeeper is like, oh, well, I haven't had company in a long time. So if one of you will share with me, you can all stay for free. And then I was like, oh, my God, that means sex, right? And then they're all like, (laughs) and then all the people are like, oh, my God, she's so beautiful. I want to share with her. I want to share with her. And so they draw straws. And Sagenbora, the only woman, gets it. And she's like, yes, excellent. And then they go upstairs to the bedroom to share. And all the men are, like, sulking. Like, I wish I could share with the innkeeper. Including these two, like, long-separated boyfriends are like, I wanted to fuck the innkeeper. Not not you, my boyfriend. But also the boyfriends. Because after she goes off, the two of them immediately are like, well, let's go have sex. Oh, yeah. No, they definitely do, but they were disappointed about not also getting to have sex with the innkeeper. Yes. But then guess what? They (laughs) do get to have sex with the innkeeper. (laughs) So, yeah, it's kind of a a magical acid trip night where, like, everybody's enjoying, you know, banter and conversation around the table, right? And then, you know, we follow Heroes, who's like, I'm just going to have a a quiet night alone upstairs in my room drinking wine. And then the uh innkeeper pays him a visit and they have like an extremely long acid trip conversation before hooking up and then it turns out that's literally what everybody else did the night before too 
And it's very funny because they're at breakfast and first they like everybody asks Sagambora like how was sharing with the innkeeper and then when the last person asks her she gets mad and puts an egg down his shirt. Hell yeah. As one does. Yeah. She's like uh, egged. And then they're like talking and they all like shyly like but like happily reveal that they also had sex with the innkeeper and then they're like what time was it oh it was right at moonrise and they all had sex with her at moonrise and then they realize that she's the the goddess and they've all had their their night with the goddess and also when when Harris was talking to her before they started sharing sexually they were sharing emotionally and she was like what would you do what would you do to be able to control your power would you to like tell someone else your name capital n and he's like i would tell someone my capital n name if i knew it but i don't and then she's like okay well i'm gonna give you some of this capital s soul flight drug and um he's like oh my god you have capital s soul flight that's like more expensive than capital h heroin and she's like yeah <laughs> I'll give you this drug for free, but if you find out your capital N name, you have to come back and tell me my capital N name. And also, I don't know my name. And so if you find my name, you also have to tell me my name. And he's like, deal. Drugs, please. And then so he gets like a jar of drugs. Yes. (laughs) And as they... Yeah, that's so he does. takes he takes his bag of drugs, and then that's when they no, all kind it of. It is real- a jar. It is described as a half pint jar of drugs. It is, yes, correct. It is. She hides it in his saddlebag when she because the first the first instance that he has that something maybe afoot is when they're all like leading. She's like, "I'll oh, leave me your horses. I'll get them set up. You guys go inside and take a bath and eat some food, and then I'll go fuck your friend." And <laughs> he, she's moving all of the other horses and. Heroist is like I- I'll move my horse because my horse is kind of finicky and she's like no 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 I got it and he goes she punches Sunspark in the face yes Sunspark yeah. goes to like attack her or to like you know spit fire at her or whatever and she punches him in the face and then he immediately is like stunned and just goes with her and even Heroist is like well that was weird and sexy <laughs> <laughs> And when he, when Sunspark comes out again, like, it's also, like, Sunspark fucked, is, like, I also had an encounter last night. (laughs) (laughs) So, in addition addition to fucking all the people in the party, the goddess also turned into a girl horse and fucked the horse. Wait, wait, wait. Really? Yeah. You know, I thought... I, did, I, I guess I didn't assume it was the goddess. I thought he just, like, as a boy horse, fucked a girl horse. But it does make more sense if it was the goddess as horse. Some more scales just fell from my eyes because that <laughs> had literally never occurred to me. Yeah. I think you have to be right. But uh, uh, I, may need, I may need to take a minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so after they've all fucked this goddess, they go on and they find, <laughs> including the horse, um, they, yeah. they find the, like, weird place they're looking for because, like, time and the universe, like, the laws of physics stop working right and they're like, oh, we're on the right track. And so they finally find this, like, 
gray stone fortress in the middle of the desert. In, sorry, in the middle of the capital W waste. In the middle of the capital W waste. <laughs> and they go inside and they find that it's just filled with all these doors and... 184 doors. Well, they don't know that yet. Yeah. <laughs> they just know it's a I'm lot just, of doors. I'm jumping ahead. Just to, yes. give, just to paint the picture for you, it's 184 doors, except some appear and disappear. Yeah, h- however many doors you were picturing... Uh, was almost certainly not enough because this is this is 184 doors. Yes, and so they like look in a bunch of the doors, and like everyone feels real weird about it, and and they're like, "Where's Jim Morrison?" <laughs> <laughs> and after they look and poke around the doors for a while, they like make a fire and start to have dinner. And Lorne and Kirowis are like bonding and reminiscing over old times and like you know all this like stuff they've done together and what their futures are going to be like and heroist is like yeah i'm gonna stay here and look for how to like fix my flame and lauren gets really pouty and is like i think you should come with me and like go steal money from the royal treasury and have a revolution and he's like no like i think that's stupid i think that's a stupid idea i'm gonna stay here and he's like no you should come with me because i want you to come with me and i don't want you to get hurt and they like essentially fight over what each of them thinks what the other person is planning to do is stupid and reckless mm-hmm. and they have a huge fight over it like freeler like stomps off to go to sleep alone and then heroist has to explain to sunspark yeah like sometimes when you love someone you fight with them because they're a shithead but that's you love them even though they're a shithead it's weird and sunspark's like yeah it's real weird actually and then in the morning when heroist wakes up lauren is gone all of his bros are packing up to go and are about to leave and his lady bro is staying behind a little bit and she's like yeah like he woke up in a tiff and he like just got up and left immediately and he's like really mad and being really sloppy so it'll be real easy to follow his trail and i wanted to stay and make sure that like you were all right before we go and he's like i appreciate it like he's a dipshit i'm pissed at him but i'm gonna stay here and she's like nah yeah like i get it because i too have the blue flame and mm-hmm. I understand. Uh, yeah. I'll make sure he doesn't do anything too stupid while he's gone. And oh, is that is that what you'll do? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, yeah, great, thanks. And then she leaves too. And Harris and Sunspark are alone in the House of Doors. Yes, uh, Harris has his first soul flight trip, and it's just trippy and he realizes he's gonna have to take a stronger dose if he really wants to like get through somewhere so he puts that aside and and goes to like count all the doors and do a survey of them which which now we know there's 184 of them and one of the doors is just sort of like blank like you open it and it's just like nothingness and he thinks that this will be a door that he could do a i'm not really totally clear on what he's trying to do he tries to do a magic he can tell there's some kind of binding thing on the door, so he thinks that maybe there's something further beyond it. So he does some light sorceries to try and undo the binding to see what's behind the door. But it turns out that an evil monster that eats souls was on the other side of the door, and the binding was to keep it from coming out into our world, because if it did, it would eat the souls of all the people in the world, which would be bad. So 
he tricks the monster after the monster gets out and is chasing after him because he did a big sorcery he's like ready to pass out but sunspark's like no 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 no, you can't do that yet because now this thing is out here and it needs to go back in so they use sunspark it's afraid of the light so they use sunspark's fire elemental powers to scare it back into the door doing a very scooby-doo thing where heroist runs through the door and then like hides around the corner <laughs> so one sunspark chases the monster through the door heroist can just like bop right out of it and then do a binding spell to close the door again except that like it's a difficult spell under the best of circumstances and he is already facing the capital b backlash from his last sorcery that he did so while he does it and it does hold it's very tied to him and if he like fucks up or gets too emotional the binding could break and then the monster could come out and eat all the people in this world which again um bad mm-hmm. yes capital b bad yeah and then sunspark tenderly takes care of here and by the way this house of doors it's literally only doors there's no furniture or anything in it so sunspark has made like a nest of curtains and blankets to be here bed and he like goes into the nearby town and gets food from the villagers and just leaves them random chunks of raw gold that he like <laughs> magically pulls from the earth as like payment because he's like sort of starting to understand human ethics. And uh, oh, so Sunspark, you know, he's a fire elemental, so he can shapeshift. So he had been a horse, but then he will also well sometimes he'll just be a fire and be like in the fireplace. and then sometimes he'll be like a sexy boy and sometimes he'll be a sexy lady well he's it's it's very interesting because he's specifically like a twink when he's a boy but when he's a woman he is like an older curvy woman yeah which i don't know if if this is reading too much into what like heroist is like looking for in the world or what but (laughs) Yeah, but he realizes, so he does his second soul, like he's he's cataloged all these doors, he hasn't found a door that will help him make his flame behave. Sunspark has been stealing, well, not even stealing, because he's paying for it with gold that he finds underground, um, like food and also like forge materials so that heroists can keep making swords to keep trying to make a sword to as his focus for his blue flame magic. And so he decides to go on another one night soul walking trip with some of his drugs. And he takes more this time because the first one, he just relived the night that his brother died. And that sucked. Uh (laughs) So this time he's like, no, I'm going to do it good this time. And he like visits all of these different people in the world. And he visits Freelorn, who's sleeping with his lady bro whose name is not Stregonona, but it's the only thing I can think when I see it, which is why I haven't even been attempting it. It is Segenbora, but I motioned to change it to Stregonona. <laughs> uh, so Stregonona and Freelorn are having sex, and he can, in his drug-induced state, like get really deep into their brains. And he, like... Which, like again, like this is really just like further further confirms that you never want to know people's psychic thoughts because 
Stregonona is like doing this in an attempt to it, it, like in her forethoughts are I'm doing this to be a good friend to Harrowis. Like I'm going to like help chill free Lauren out. I'm going to be there for him so that like he realizes what a dick he's been. And when we reunite with Harrowis, like he'll be in like a better place to like work through their bullshit. But like deep in her hindbrain, she's jealous of because she knows that she can never trust someone completely the way that Lorne and Harrowish trust each other. So she'll never have a beloved. And she's like mad about that and angry about that and jealous about that deep down. And Lorne like on the surface is just like, uh, I want to have sex and I miss heroist so i'll sleep with Stregonona. but then like deep down he's like i hope that like this somehow makes heroist jealous and like i'm mad at him because he won't do what i say and i think i know what's best and he deserves me sleeping with someone else because he's been a prick and so like no one's got great intentions nope <laughs> and so then heroist is pissed and he's like oh now i'm mad and I just like, I hate everything. And he kind of wanders the world for a little bit and then ends up back in the house of many doors. And he sees Sunspark and realizes that like in his spirit walker form, Sunspark is deeply beautiful. And also he may have (laughs) accidentally made Sunspark be in love with him. (laughs) Yeah, because like, he realizes after seeing all these people that Sunspark as a fire elemental, he is himself fully whole and he doesn't need someone else to complete him the way all these like loser humans do. And he's just like, oh, that's so beautiful. And then he like thinks about it. And it is this like very fan fiction moment where it's like, oh, he's been like feeding me and taking care of me and doing all this stuff that's like technically beyond the the pact the capital p pact really only said that he had to save my life which he did so he could be done now but instead he's like sticking around and making me soup i love him yes (laughs) um so they like more time passes and they're like yeah like we're in love now and that's cool and it is really interesting because like they talk about jealousy a lot in the book and about how like you get to a point where you're largely beyond jealousy but also like it is something that you have to wrestle with because it's not it it is natural but it's not good for like the relationships so sun spark is very jealous of the fact that heroist like is like in love with freelorn and like will always have loved him first and most. Mm. And so there's a lot of conversations where, where heroist is kind of like you. Yeah. But like, I love you too. I can love multiple people. It's different. Like I love you differently than I love him, but it doesn't mean I don't love you. And like, that's something that you have to like in your, like learning on how to be a person on this, how to be a person period. Like this is kind of something that you need to get used to. And it, it it reads it reads interestingly because like yeah you're right there's a lot of conversations about it but you know from a from a deeply old person perspective it sort of reads like you know Sunspark I feel jealousy humans nah man I definitely don't feel jealousy you've got to get over that I'm not jealous of Freelorn fucking Sankbora. 
I'm not jealous at all. <laughs> you know, like it, it does feel a little protest too much uh, from the human aspect is what I'm saying. I think they just like talk for a while for some more time and like look at doors some more. And then like Freelorn and his bros come back and they successfully did their heist and <laughs> yeah like they're having a whole oceans 11 like back in the background and then he just like comes back and he's like oh we stole eight thousand talents which is the currency and then well collision you made a good point here in the document that i think you should make and i don't want to steal it well i i, I love what you just said because yeah there was a whole last oceans 11 that happens and in the recounting of that free lauren is like so I had this really important moment with, you know, uh, a person in my kingdom who was dying and they seemed so old and they were younger than me. And I realized it's my responsibility to do everything I can and stop kind of gallivanting and Robin Hooding around and, you know, actually try to take back my kingdom and do right by the people. And as I was reading this this time, I was sort of thinking like, wow, that sounds like an incredible story. Like this hero goes on this great journey and he's like called to destiny, but he says no. And then something else happens. And then he says, yes, that all sounds really interesting. Like I would like to have seen that happen on the page. Like it's a good topic for a book maybe. <laughs> but yeah, in this, it's all completely in the background while our titular hero just sort of hangs around, counts doors makes out with his new boyfriend, you know, takes some drugs, uh, all of which are, are great activities that I, I support entirely. <laughs> it's just that, like, for the purpose of a, a, a book, I might like to see more of one than the other. <laughs> yeah, and, and I guess, like, the second book is more focused on Saigon Bora, a.k.a. Stregonona, and the third <laughs> book is more focused on Freelorn, but it seems like they're all forward in time, so it's not like it's these same events from his point of view. Mm. And and you know what? And I think that's so brave of her. <laughs> <laughs> there have uh, there have been other books that we've like favorably compared to fan fiction in that way of like, oh yeah, like the the big stuff happened, or like it's happening parenthetically, it's happening somewhere else. But let's just like dial in deep on like him tenderly feeding soup to his boyfriend. <laughs> and you know what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, like the climax of the book happens. Free Lauren's like, hey, let's fuck. And Harris is like, yeah, like totally let's fuck, but I'll like see you in like 15 minutes, okay? And then he goes up to his room and he takes the rest of the drugs and like has one of his like soul walk experiences where he like starts to dive into everyone's dreams and like sees what everybody is thinking. And he dives into Stregonona's dream and there's like a dragon there and you know, it keeps telling him, like, your sword is important. He's like, I don't have a sword. And, like, the dragon's like, oh, do you not have a sword? Wink. And then he goes to Freelorn, and Freelorn in his dream is going to the lion, who is, like, his forefather and, like, the symbol of his people and a god to ask for the miracle that will give Heroes his ability to, like, find his spark 
and understand how to use his blue fire. And then they like go to the land of the dead where Heroes sees his dead brother, Herolaf, and like his he's like, Oh, I killed you. And his brother's like, You didn't kill me. Like I was we were both drunk, like I tripped. That's why I died. Like it's not your fault, and you can't like ever use a sword properly until you forgive yourself for like doing something with one that you never actually did. Yeah. Hiralath is like, swords don't kill people, drunk people kill people. Exactly. <laughs> and just as Heroist is like, uh, I just so close to like having this revelation, there's all this screaming and he wakes up and the evil soul-eating monsters have escaped the door and are now attacking his friends. And he's still like drugged from this drug. And the closest thing he can find to like steady himself is his half completed sword. Like it has no handle. It's like it's all sword, no handle. Yes. And he like grabs onto it and it cuts his hand. So he's like bleeding all over it. And he finally manages to get up and go downstairs. And Streganona is using her blue flame to ward off the creatures but because she doesn't know how to use it right because she was unable to be trained properly she's like her energy is fading and then sunspark comes in to try and hold them off but they devour him and he like he saves freelorn but he disappears and they assume he's dead and then Heroist like journeys deep within himself like time freezes and in bullet time he journeys deep within himself <laughs> and discovers his real name and Steve discovers that the curse <laughs> like the goddess's name and the goddess's point on this earth is to find all the other names of all the people's true names so that she can fight death and so it like that is the thing that finally gives him the power to harness the blue flame and he uses it to kill the monsters and he makes finally makes his like cool magic sword and he and Freelorn fuck again and then he agrees to go with Freelorn in order to have the revolution that he wants so that he can take his place on the throne and he'll use his magic so that like they don't have to kill anyone and then he absently calls out to Sunspark and Sunspark rematerializes, and it turns yes! out that he, like, was never really dead. He just got lost for a little while. It's actually very funny. Okay, so the, the Haralson monster uh, eats souls. And so, like, it ate Sunspark, but because Sunspark is, like, an immortal fire elemental, he basically, like, burned his way back out and, like, you know, gave him monster indigestion and mm -hmm. then... Like had to come back up into this realm and just like reappeared <laughs> in the fireplace as a fire, as one does. Yeah, yeah. And so that's like he's got he has a little chat with the goddess, and then the book ends. Yeah, to be continued in book two. <laughs> uh, which you know I read another ten pages of, and spoiler, it just hard left turns into Sangbora's story. Like five pages in. She's in a cave meeting a dragon. Like, Hell yeah. Yeah. So I, I think the kingdoms are going to be saved and reunited, but I think that also might kind of be taking place largely off screen. I had a sense based on the summary that that maybe is more book three. Mm, mm -hmm. But again, who knows? Not us. Yeah. I, I, you know, I've, I've had 40 years to try to figure this out and I haven't quite gotten there yet. So yeah, you know, well, we'll see. And 
And Diane hasn't figured it out because where's book four? <laughs> oh, brutal. She's doing her best. Look, it's fine. Um, let's jump to dramatic readings. And our first one is from this moment that's like relatively inconsequential, except for it's amazing. And so for this dramatic reading, I will be here with and Collision will be a very special character named Masai. (laughs) (laughs) There was a sudden motion to his right. He looked and saw the cat, a big gray tabby with blue eyes, balancing itself on the table edge after its leap. It lay down, tucking its forepaws beneath its chest so that it looked like a broody hen, and half-closed its eyes. Well, hello, Hirwa said, putting down his mug to scratch under the cat's chin. It squeezed its eyes shut altogether and stretched its neck out all the way, purring like a gray-furred thunderstorm. Hirwa went back to the contemplation of his ale, rubbing under the cat's chin automatically for a few minutes. Then suddenly, the cat opened up its round blue eyes. Prince, it said in its soft, raspy voice. Mind the innkeeper's daughter. He laughed under his breath. No one keeps a secret from a cat, he quoted. May I ask what you're called? Masai, it said. That's my inner name, Prince. The outer doesn't matter. Here was blinked in surprise. I'll keep your secret, he said in ritual response. But I fear I have none to give you in return. I don't know mine yet. Well enough. Time will come, and then you can come back and tell me. Forgive me, but how did you know who I am? I've been in your saddlebag. It had a binding on it. The cat smiled, and after a moment, Herewith smiled back at it. Cats, the legend said, had been created second after men, and had a flame of their own, one which they never lost. I just love that. I love to take a moment out of the narrative to be like, hey, cats can talk. They're magic. They're great. Not only can cats uh, do magic and talk, if they don't talk to you, it's text that it's your fault. Um, (laughs) We we mentioned that each chapter begins with a little section from an in-universe book. This chapter begins with, if the cat who shares your house will not speak to you, remember first that cats... Like the goddess their mother, never speak unless there is something worth saying and someone who needs to hear it. So if you're not having this kind of like amazing interaction with a cat, it's it's probably your fault. Yeah. And I just think that's so important. It is so important. You're so right. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, the next dramatic reading is a, a little scene between Harrowis and his longtime lover who he hasn't seen in seven years, question mark, Freelorn. <laughs> and Kate will be here with, and I'll be Lorne. Stars shone on them again. This time, the warm constellations of spring, dolphin and maiden, and flamesteed and stave. The lion stood near the zenith, the red star of its heart glittering softly through the still air. They held one another close, and closer yet, and found to their delight that nothing seemed to have changed between them. A soft chuckle in the darkness. Lauren, you remember that first time we shared at your place? That was a long time ago. (laughs) It seems that way. And my father yelled up the stairs, What are you doing? And you yelled back, 
We're fucking. And it was quiet for so long. And then he started laughing. Yeah. A silence. You know, he really loved you. He always wanted another son. He always used to say that now that he had one. Silence. Lauren, one way or another, I'm going to see you on your throne. Get your power first. Yeah, but then we get your throne back for you. I think I owe him that. Your power first. He was concerned about that. Yes, he would have been. Well, we'll see. A pause. A desert owl floated silently overhead and away like a wandering ghost. (laughs) Good talk, bro. Good talk. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. And then uh, Collision will take us home with one trippy monologue. It was like falling asleep this time, but not falling, rising rather, a floating feeling, as if he and the chair both were borne upward. After a time, this ceased, and silence rang in his ears like a song. He opened his eyes and raised his hand. It came out of itself, slipping free, his own large hand, but changed, both more sensitive to what it touched and more sensitive somehow to its own handness. Just curling it and flexing the fingers outward again was an exquisite feeling. The shell of flesh from which it had emerged was inadequate looking, a stiff, cold, pitiful thing. Harewis stood up and came free of himself effortlessly. He did not give his body a second look. He scorned it and thought himself elsewhere. Immediately, he was away, and the instantaneous transition itself set a ripple of pure pleasure through him like the first anticipation of the act of love, a deep, glad movement at the center of oneself. He was standing in air, as if on some high mountain, and below him was spread all the world known to men, from the waste in the east to the mountains in the west. More than that, he could sense the lives of the people who lived in those lands, all the lives in the kingdoms, men's lives and animals and dragons and other creatures, spun about and threw each other, woven into a vast and intricate tapestry of movement and being. It was very like the pattern that he had glimpsed in Sunspark's mind. Once this vastness would have frightened and confused him as the pattern had. Now, though, he could see it, see all of it, comprehend it, predict the motions of men and the intimate doings of their hearts, perceive the deepest motives, the best hidden dreams and loves, and see how they moved the people who owned them or thought that they owned them. He hung there in starlit stillness for a long time. Yeah, and you know, you know you're in good hands when a scene says, and this happens for a long time, and then it continues to go on for like many more pages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot, a lot of soul flight. Well, let's, uh, let's move on to Reader's Advisory and suggest some other books to read instead of or in addition to The Door into Fire. But I, I think we're all pretty clear that <laughs> if you're at all interested in, like, fantasy and or intense polyamorous relationships, like, check it out, man. Yeah. No, ex- extremely so. Like, give me a book where... You know, the, the, the primary plot driver is a bunch of people in a polycule have to, like, get their individual shit together so that they can, like, realize their their collective goals. Uh, I think I'm basically down with that. And if there's also magic, so much the better. 
Yeah. This it does remind me of Sarah J. Mass in a in a compliment way, but that Sarah J. Mass books are so like tangibly horny, but also like full of a fantasy nonsense that just sort of like washes over me and I'm like, ah, sure. Like I do I remember any of these words? No. Do I know what they mean? No. But am I living? Yes. <laughs> it's like it's that, but this is like better because Sarah J. Mass has a real hard time with the concept of like queer people or like sex positivity like she is really struggling there in a way that diane duane is like no i got it (laughs) like so inferior but somehow connected i'd uh i'd also throw in a recommendation on kind of the other side of the coin you know, Ursula K. Le Guin is well known for doing a lot of things with sex and sexuality and gender in her sci-fi works. And there's a lot of interesting stuff out there. The first thing that popped into my mind is The Left Hand of Darkness, which I found very mm. difficult to get into as my first Ursula K. Le Guin novel. But, you know, does there's a lot of other books that take place in those worlds and also other worlds that explore those topics and also it's got all that you know fantasy bullshit in it that people Mm -hmm. seem to like people do (laughs) seem to like that how about you collision uh yeah i mean in terms of of this book i'd recommend uh this book um (laughs) i I think the the best compliment to it is is one of my most shameful guilty pleasures which is a little reality show uh, called Forged in Fire. Oh, the the blacksmith show. <laughs> the blacksmith show, yeah. and uh, it's it's it it's a shameful thing, but uh, I do really. No, I don't it. think I don't think it's shameful, and I don't hardly any reality TV is shameful. I think unless it's like so actively exploitative, like how maybe some of the bachelor seasons or whatever mm-hmm. which as established in previous episodes kate and i don't actually know that much about the bachelor it just seems like we should but i i think reality tv is fun and i think we are living in times when we deserve to be able to just like have have a little fun as a treat and if that is forged in fire then like hell yeah and I, and i will say that you know this is a book where uh, the main character does an awful lot of blacksmithing which exactly. uh, you know rang even truer this time having watched so much forged in fire i was like hey he's talking about the tang and the haft i know what those are <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you know yeah again understanding the book you're reading as a treat is something that uh, forged in fire offered me for yeah. this one that's that's great We'll have all of these and probably some other ones up on our website, worstbestsellers.com. And now it's time for The Rock Paper Snicked, where <laughs> Kate will say who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book. And I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book. And Collision can choose which most enhances the book, or he can choose paper, which is to leave it as is. All right, Strappin, this is maybe the longest one I've ever written. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. If Dwayne The Rock Johnson was in this book, he would appear in one of the worlds that Harris opened a door into, and Harris would walk into the world from the excellent CW television show, Legends of Tomorrow, speaking of <laughs> non-guilty uh, yes. pleasure television, because it's fucking excellent, and it would be a few years after Zari becomes famous as the Dragon Girl, but before The Rock becomes president. 
And Harowish would bump into the rock before he can duck out of the door back into the house of many doors. Uh, and upon finding out that this world has dragons, thanks to Zari's stardom, he would assume the world also has magic and would explain his problems. And the rock can't help him harness his blue flame specifically, but he does do a lot of training with him and a lot of meditation before Harowish finally returns to his own world and the house of doors with Sunspark. And he's moderately more chill than he was before returning uh, so now that he's back he's able to put his demons to rest a little bit more quickly with use of his magical drugs and is more ready to protect his friends when the monsters return break out from behind the binding spell that he left behind meanwhile the rock would use this experience of helping Harris center himself as kind of a springboard into realizing that he could have a future in helping people full-time and that would of course lead to his 2046 pre- presidential run in the legends of tomorrow world god i miss legends of tomorrow i do too (laughs) but back to the marvel universe (laughs) if if wolverine were in this uh heroes would open one of the doors to find a scene from the extreme x-men universe which itself dealt with x-men from different parallel universes so that's already like doors into universes so he's opening a, a door into that universe and finding the version of Wolverine, who is James Howlett, the governor of Canada, who has been condemned to hell because of his gay romance with Hercules from Greek mythology. That actually happened in Marvel Comics. And I just think it's really important that everyone knows about that. <laughs> um, and here was, would open the door and, and see all that. And he'd be like, oh, hot. And so he and Sunspark would hop over into that door just to like have a little Marvel crossover and appear in Extreme X-Men, help them get out of hell sooner than, you know, within canon, Hala and Hercules did eventually get out of hell, but they get out a little faster with some help from mm. Sunspark and Herewith. And then I think those four would have like a really erotic off-page foursome. <laughs> And, and by off page, you mean on page or? Well, I think off of maybe off of the Marvel Comics page, but into the page of this book. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I Speaking of on page, I think I'm going to have to do paper, but a special kind of paper. That is to say the other side of the page, because um, as far as I'm concerned, both of what you just read is now in this book. <laughs> I think I mean, that that's just what the people want, need, and deserve right now. In this economy, I think yes. <laughs> you know, and in this house of 184 doors, like, I do think there is, the narrative can hold both of these. Yes. There is there is a version of this book that, f- yeah, fell through two doors, picked up those stories, fell out into our world, and is just the richer for it. Yes. <laughs> All right, well, good game. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to play another game called Fucking, Marrying, Killing, which is, of course, (laughs) inspired by Bill O'Reilly, where it is a a Jaren's only game where you must use the ING form of all these verbs. (laughs) And I've given us a pool of characters to choose from. You can, you know, per the polyamorous rules of this world, you can choose whatever arrangement you'd like of fucking, marrying, and killing of Harris, Freelorn, Segambora, Sunspark, and the Goddess. I think I've got mine. Go for it. Okay. So 
I'm marrying Freelorn because then I'll be uh, the queen and that seems fun. I'm fucking Heroes and the goddess because I mean, <laughs> that's my right as a citizen is to fuck the goddess. And then I'm, I'm, well, I guess I'm also fucking Sagambora, uh, as, as is my right. And then I'm, I'm killing Sunspark, but it's okay because he is unkillable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You basically stole mine almost exactly. I mean, it's just correct. <laughs> well, it's a little different. I'm marrying Freelorn because then, yeah, like title and all. And I'm just assuming he's also going to be marrying Heroes. So, like, yeah, I'm cool with that. A three way marriage sounds good. I'm fucking Stregonona and the goddess. <laughs> And again, killing Sunspark because Sunspark will just come back because he is a fire elemental and uh, cannot be killed in a way that matters, to quote that Tumblr post about mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, only only because, uh, you know, we, we, we have to have some variety. I think I would marry sunspark i'm so sorry uh, you you have to marrying oh sorry i would be marrying sunspark Thank you. Um, simply because that's a novel experience that that they have not had through the course of the book uh so i can at least offer that and then boy i i, I don't want to i don't want to be marrying the goddess because i don't really see myself as a nun um, <laughs> boy uh i guess you know maybe maybe fuck Stregonona, uh just you know on on general principle like if you're if you're gonna be a lady bro you know you you might as well uh get around and you know uh spread your spread your wild oats or whatever um yeah, live every night like it's opening night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and not the special one that only happens every 19 years or whatever. Um, and then I think you know, yeah, I think I think you've got to you've got to kill somebody and it's killing. Only, yeah, killing. You've got to yeah. be killing somebody. Um I'm, I'm very bad at that. I apologize. Uh, yeah. You got to be killing well, somebody. It, it's because you're no Bill O'Reilly, and that is a compliment. So, <laughs> well, I think I might need to just go out on that. That's, that's, that's <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, it's already kind of text uh, that once you get the blue flame, it burns you out. You know, the the, the candle that burns blue at, at both ends burns half as long. So Heroes is on his way out, and I'm pretty sure he's going to pull some kind of, like, Jedi Force Ghost bullshit anyway, so it's not that big a deal. So I'll definitely be uh, killing Heroes, and, uh, you know, Freelorn can can figure out uh, how to feel better on his own. Yeah, that's so valid. All right, another good game, everyone. And now it's time for Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte, again, shares his opinions about the book. Yeah, Duarte, you are right. This book, I mean, it did have really good cat representation, but it absolutely <laughs> could have used more cat representation. Yeah, I too am really curious about what happened to, you know, our friend Masai, who we meet very briefly at the beginning. You know, it sounds like he could have had some really cool adventures that the book could have mm-hmm. taken some time to inform us about. Mm-hmm. 
I think we could have had a whole like cats like musical set in this world where all the cats reveal their capital N names to each other and <laughs> and and you mean, I hope you mean like they do in the musical cats where it's hi, my name is blank and I'm this kind of cat. Exactly, but but capital N. Uh-huh. Yeah. Exactly like that though. <laughs> and they would have so they would have different names like Masai and which I do think would be a challenging song to write. Like Masai is no Skimbleshanks for sure. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that is actually why it's taking so long for Diane Duane to write book four because she is trying to do the Cats musical and she's like, man, this is hard. <laughs> I mean, Skimbleshanks is a bop. Skimbleshanks is a bop. So um, it's hard to top that, honestly. I, I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Best best song in the thing is Magical Mr. Mistopheles. Also good. Also good. <laughs> also good. He is a magical cat who does have the capital F flame, as all cats do. So it's all coming together. Uh, George, (laughs) thank you so much for these valuable insights. Uh, Do any humans have any closing thoughts? This is a good book. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm glad it holds up. uh, And I'm glad it did not, you know, uh, completely mortify anybody but me in, (laughs) in in the occasional spot. Uh, but yeah, I, I I like this a lot. I'm I'm glad the uh, the old man had it on his shelf. I'm glad I sort of like picked it randomly because it had a cool cover. Yeah, it it opened a door in your mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm surprised that this book doesn't have like a huge internet fandom. Like I feel like this is ripe to be rediscovered. I feel like the right person on book on book talk could make like a TikTok about this and send it up to the mm. bestseller list. Mm-hmm. I don't know who because I don't have a TikTok, but I I do understand that TikTok is moving books, and I really feel like it could get this one going. If you're on TikTok, uh, do that, please. <laughs> please and thank you. Yeah. Please and thank you. Do at me, but not on TikTok because I'm not on TikTok. Please at me on another (laughs) form of social media to tell me about your TikTok. Yeah. (laughs) Hopefully it'll end up somewhere in my recommended uh, Instagram videos, right? Yeah. Yeah, like copied over into an Instagram reel, um, but it still has a little TikTok logo on it. I will take it that way. Thank you. Speaking of, I guess let's move into uh, where you can find us as a podcast on social media. And so we are on Facebook and Instagram at Worst Bestsellers, spelled normally. So you can send us your TikToks there. Or we're on Twitter at Worst Bestseller with no S because, uh, well, the S had to go to Masai's name because he's got four S's in it. And so he needed one of ours. And (laughs) he needs it. And that's fine. So we're on Twitter at Worst Bestseller with no S. Uh, we also have a Goodreads group that actually I haven't updated in a little while because it keeps asking me to prove I'm not a robot and then it like spins out. And so actually maybe Goodreads is broken. I don't know. But theoretically, <laughs> we're in Goodreads or whatever. Wait, wait are you a robot? I, I can't answer that without my robo lawyer. I mean, my regular human lawyer. <laughs> <here>. <laughs> 
You can find us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, all the places where podcasts live. And if you do find us there, please take a moment to subscribe and rate and review. When you rate and review, it moves us up on the charts and makes it easier for new listeners to find us. Uh, If you don't rate and review, then we'll probably just have to shove you through one of the 184 doors in the house with many doors. (laughs) And who knows what world you may end up in. It might be bad. It might also be fine. It could just be like the normal world, except everybody's got like pink hair or something but (laughs) you'll never know and that's a risk that you'll have to take if you don't rate and review us let let me be alarmist do you want Ralsense? because that's how you get Ralsense. you listen to podcasts podcasts and you don't rate and review them so We also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. Patreon is a service where you offer a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to do things like fund our website and buy new equipment and all sorts of things like that. And in return, you get things like a newsletter every month and stickers in the mail and all sorts of other perks. Uh, We also have merch available, which you can find by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on merch, where you'll find all sorts of things from our podcast to wear on your body. Finally, we have a Discord server that you can also find linked on worstbestsellers.com, and you can come and join us there to talk about basically literally whatever you want. So you should do that. Exactly. Finally, if you do want to just talk to me personally, I'm at Renata Snacks. If you're looking for me, I'm at 14 across. I am mostly on Instagram these days. I don't really use Twitter anymore. And uh, Collision, where are you at? Uh, I am currently, uh, you know, envying not being on Twitter anymore. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But you can find me on Twitter at at CF Collision. You can find uh, me and the podcast that I do when I'm not guesting on other podcasts at I don't even own a television.com, all one word, uh, obviously no punctuation, no underscores or whatever. And yeah, that's that's about it. So see you out there. And yeah. uh, if you know if you like uh, people making jokes about bad books, uh, I don't even own a television, that's what we do. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I know from our Discord chatter and whatnot, like there's a lot of crossover already. People are fans <laughs> of both shows, which is correct of them, obviously. But uh, if you're one of the ones who hasn't checked out their podcast yet, uh, get into it. And uh, you know, yeah, we can we can definitely offer you uh, as a as a, as a new listener many many episodes, uh, including guest episodes. Uh, y'all have been on, and mm-hmm. uh, we hope to have you on again soon. We've 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 had some uh, you know hiccups in the old production schedule. I can't imagine why. <laughs> Gestures broadly at everything. Yeah, living in these totally normal times, it's just like easy <laughs> and fun to do your normal activities. Yeah, well, um, but. But, you know, um, we've had worse bestsellers on. It's always a great, great time. And I, again, can't thank you enough for uh, uh, for inviting me back to, you know, encounter this door. Yes. Yeah, it was it was fun. Thank you for bringing this delightful book to our doorsteps. And thank you for helping us close out Flashback Summer 2022. <laughs> this is the end of it. And our next episode, we'll be back in two weeks with our 200th episode dazzling what? spectacular yes god that's a big number yeah. i know <laughs> so we've got a, a fun little surprise up our sleeves and you'll just have to tune back into your podcast catcher to find out what that is <laughs> well i i for one will be there with bells on <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Until then, thanks again for joining us, Collision. Thank you. And thanks for listening, and bye! Bye! Sexy unicorns forever. yeah (laughs) we're popping bottles for magic cats over here thank the goddess for editing